Hi, and thank you for listening to Ask the Pastor, a segment of the West Hills podcast where you have the opportunity to ask and receive biblical answers on your questions from our lead pastor, Will Duvall. I'm your host, Allie Keaton, and I'm really excited to dive into our question this week. This week's question comes to us from Listen, and she asks, Hi, Pastor Will. My question is, does God allow those in heaven to see the people they left behind, or are they too busy praising him? Well, that is a great question, Lassen, and I thank you for it. And I'll be honest, it's not inconsequential that I just listened to an Ask Pastor John episode responding to this very same question. Uh, Ask Pastor John again is John Piper's podcast from which I stole the idea for our own podcast here at West Hills. And uh, while Piper has been away on sabbatical, they've been replaying the most popular old episodes of their podcast, the ones that reached the 300,000 plays mark. And so clearly we've got a ways to go here at West Hills. Now, granted, this is only our eighth episode uh, of Ask Pastor Will, but I, I think our most popular episode, by contrast, on uh, how could a Christian vote for Trump only has a few hundred plays. But we'll get there. Keep sharing our podcast with your friends. Make sure to like like it, subscribe to it, leave us a review, a five-star rating, all that good stuff helps get the word out. Most importantly, it gets the word of God out. That's what we're trying to do with this podcast. Um, so, you know, it's very interesting. Uh, this question got 300,000 listens on APJ, and uh, somewhat surprisingly to me, it is the only question that I have received uh, twice thus far for our own podcast. So Candace basically asked the same question as Lucin here, are our loved ones looking down on us from heaven? And so clearly this is a question that is on the minds and the hearts of many of God's people. So uh, I'm glad we're digging into it today. Um, and because Piper just replayed his answer and because he is much wiser and more experienced as a student of scripture than I am, uh, I'm going to be honest, and I'm, I'm going to steal Piper's basic five-point outline for my own response. I'm going to change the order of his points, actually, and I'll get to that. But I want to—I'll add my own thoughts here um, as much as I can with each point. I'm not going to plagiarize the whole episode, uh, but I will add some of Piper's thoughts as well um, because they're just so good. Uh, but more importantly, I'm going to try and add in um, a few extra relevant passages of Scripture that I see. Um, to help accompany each of these points, uh, some of which Piper omits. So um, let's get to it. Uh, five things to say about this question of can, can our loved ones look down on us from heaven? Number one, we don't know for sure. Uh, scripture just isn't clear. As much as perhaps we'd love it to be, there uh, just isn't a real explicit, clear um, biblical case uh, in one way or the other. There, there's passages that give clues, and we're going to list those here, but but nothing conclusive. Um, but let me just go ahead and toss out uh, a first passage of Scripture for us to consider on this point. Luke 16, verses 19 to 31. This is uh, Jesus telling the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Um, if you remember that, where uh, rich man and Lazarus, they both die. Rich man goes to Hades, and um, the, the Lazarus, who was poor and, and, and didn't get rewarded on earth, goes to the bosom of Abraham. And so Jesus says in verses 25, 26, But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things, you rich man. 
But Lazarus, in like manner, received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. But then the key is verse 26. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. So a couple things to say about this. This clearly might have some implications for this question that we're asking. Can lost loved ones look down on us on earth? But a couple differences that are really key here. One, this is the, the chasm between uh, two people in the afterlife, not between you know one person in sort of paradise and glory or whatever, and then um, and then uh, those of us left here on earth. The other thing to say about it is this is it's maybe even more significant. This passage is you know this is pre Christ's death and resurrection, so this is pre gospel, um, and you know, this is probably a whole other Ask the Pastor podcast episode, but uh, you know, my view of, and I believe what would be considered the orthodox view of, of how all of that shakes out with regard to the afterlife pre and post Christ is that in Old Testament times, uh, you know, basically it is by G- Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. So basically, Jesus opens up a way to the Father, heaven and hell. Um, are not populated before Christ's death and resurrection. That, 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 that is my view. And, and in the Old Testament, we get pretty clear evidence that uh, both the righteous and the unrighteous um, end up in Sheol. Uh, now, there are different sort of parts of Sheol. Um, again, this is a whole other podcast. I'm probably getting too, too deep into it already, but there are different parts of Sheol. There's the bosom of Abraham, sort of the high rent district for, for the righteous, uh, those who are, who are awaiting redemption in Christ once he does come. They're long-awaited Messiah, Abraham, Moses, David, people like that. Um, and then there's the sections of Sheol that are populated by the wicked, the unrighteous, um, Hades, uh, this, this rich man in Luke chapter 16. Um but all that to say, I, I think it's a little bit of apples and oranges to, to look at this um, passage and conclude too much for our um, topic today. So let's move on to point number two, which is Piper just titles it New Eyes. And so here's what Piper says. I would say that if God grants saints in heaven to see the suffering and misery as well as the good on earth... Uh, we may be sure that they see it not with their old and perfect eyes, that they understand it not with their old and perfect minds, and that they assess it not with their old and perfect hearts, but rather they will see and understand and assess all things in a perfectly spiritual way, so they will not in the least bit doubt the goodness of God in what they see or the wisdom of God in what they see. And so what he's referring to here is the idea that... Um, you know, for lost loved ones who go on to, to glory, to heaven, to be with the Father, Hebrews twelve twenty three uh, makes it clear that they have been perfected. So, so that verse is this: uh, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the Judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous who are made perfect. So, uh, saints, you know, when when we're stripped away, our souls are stripped away from. We leave our mortal bodies behind on the, on this earth, and we go. Our souls go to be with heaven and, uh, and await final redemption, restoration of our bodily souls, new body. First uh, Corinthians fifteen. That's a, again a whole other podcast episode. Um, difference between you know that interim space uh, between uh, going to heaven now and waiting final redemption and Christ's second coming. But in that interim space, 
Our souls are made perfect. They, are, they, they must be made perfect in order to get into heaven because heaven is for, for perfect people. And so um, we're, we're made perfect. And, and so Piper concludes from that, if we're made perfect, then we're going to see things perfectly. We're going to experience things perfectly. If they're looking down on us from heaven, they're no longer, you know, they, if they see suffering and evil and hardship and all those things on earth, they're going to see it perfectly. They're going to see it in a way. Well, I'll just quote him because he says it really well. Um, he, he references Psalm 1611 that says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so Piper says, since the Bible is clear that being in heaven is better than being here on earth, and being at God's right hand is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, we can say for sure that God will give the saints whatever measure of knowledge they need for the greatest experience of happiness in God. If they need to know something here, for their fullest experience of joy in God, they will know it. He won't withhold what is needed for their full happiness in him. If they need to be ignorant of something for their fullest experience of joy in God, he will keep them ignorant. And uh, so that's a really beautiful, I think, reminder, an important thing for us to keep in mind. You know, we need not worry about our, our loved ones if they are looking down on us, you know, fretting or, or, um, or, or worrying about the, the present sort of you know, they're not suffering with us uh, anymore. They're experience, f- experiencing fullness of joy. They're, they're in that timeless state removed from time and space now where um, they can see more of that full picture with, you know, like God sees, I think, um, in a way that, that, that they're not doubting God's goodness and his sovereignty, both those things. Uh, point number three, on, uh, Christ is the only mediator we need. Uh, and so Piper warns us in this way, we should be cautioned to beware of spending too much time thinking about the saints above so that we are tempted to interact with them in the way that the Roman Catholics do when they pray to the saints and to Mary. I think that is uh, very dangerous for the health of our faith. It has led many people to look to the saints and to Mary and their longing for help rather than focusing on Christ and the throne of grace that he alone has opened to us. And so I want to come back to that at the end and say a word about that. But just consider a couple passages. 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul says, There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Very clear uh, denunciation of any sort of cult of, of, of sainthood or, or, or Mary or anything like that, any, any room, any need for any kind of mediator go between between us, you know, uh, Paul says in, in Hebrews 4, we are sorry, not Paul. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews 4, 15 tells us we approach uh, the, the, the throne of, of God uh, with boldness, with confidence because of this mediation we have in Christ alone. Um, so we go directly uh, to him. We, we don't need uh, any sort of go-between, whether that's saints or angels or lost loved ones or anything like that. Um, and, and now we know that there are other heavenly spiritual beings that exist, and we do actually know even that, that there are beings that interact with our world. And so here's another, I think, relevant passage to pull in, Hebrews 1, uh, verses 13 and 14. Uh, we hear, and to which of the angels has God ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And so we hear about these angels that are ministering spirits sent out, presumably from heaven, 
um, for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. So that must be us, humans, who, who are not yet uh, in heaven and, and, and making good on our inheritance. So this is the verse that really supports the whole idea of guardian angels. Um, but scripture is also very clear here, again, that, that we humans are very different than the angels. So the notion that humans turn into angels when we die or we trade our you know, mortal uh, bodies for a pudgy, childish body and a halo and a harp, that is simply unbiblical um, and, and not the way that scripture describes our eternal fate at all. So there is a difference between lost loved ones looking down and angels looking down, guardian angels interacting with us in, in different ways. Uh, point number four is beware of sentimentalism. So Piper says we are tempted to hope that those who had no faith as far as we could see or little faith might be saved. Of course, Jesus is merciful and the thief on the cross was saved in his 11th hour. We are not the last judge. Maybe God did turn somebody's heart just before they died. Um, but Piper goes on there from, from there to just warn us uh, that, that we need to be really careful on this point. And, and I agree with him, especially in the case of a lost love when there's such a temptation and a good-hearted desire to believe and hope for the best for that person that it can sometimes, I think, cause us to ignore all signs to the contrary. And if we're not careful, it, it could really undermine our entire belief system uh, as it relates to the afterlife. You know, if the gospel is the good news that by grace we're saved through faith, that God so loved us that whoever believes in him shall not perish. If in opposition to that, I'm going to let my need to believe that, that my mom or my dad or my best friend, my spouse, my child, even though there was no evidence of a sincere faith in Christ, um, that I, I just love them too much. And they were such a beautiful soul that I can't bring myself to believe that they could possibly not be in heaven. Well, then I think you have a very slippery slope, maybe an impossibly slippery slope that leads you from, from, that, uh, from, from that conclusion pretty quickly to universalism, this idea that all will be saved because everyone has someone who loved them. Everyone has someone who doesn't want to believe that they could have actually rejected Christ and thus missed heaven. But scripture is abundantly clear that people's eternal fates do not hang on my subjective feelings about that person, my connection with that person, but rather on that person's connection with Christ or a lack thereof. And that's really, that's really important to affirm for us. Matthew 7, verses 22 and 23, Jesus warned, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That is a warning we need to take really, really seriously. And finally, point number five, probably the most pivotal passage of all. So I opted to reorder Piper's points and end with this one. The cloud of witnesses, referring to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Piper says, 
uh, he interprets that this way. God grants the saints in heaven to witness the race that we are running on earth. I am inclined to think that means they are watching because of the picture of the race. It is as though the saints finish their marathon at their death, and then they come around and stand on the sides of the racetrack and watch us. And we are supposed to take heart from that because, in essence, they would be saying, hang in there, trust God, you can do this. We made it, you can make it too. And I find that very encouraging. That's Piper. John MacArthur, on the other hand, says this, the witnesses in that verse are not the modern-day loved ones, but the faithful saints from Hebrews chapter 11, the previous chapter in, con in context, who live victorious lives by trusting God. Those saints are witnesses to us because their lives testify about the value of trusting God no matter the hardship we face. They are active witnesses who speak to us by their example, not passive witnesses who watch us with their eyes. And so MacArthur says, consequently, when we understand Hebrews 12.1 in context, we realize it doesn't really support the idea that our lost loved ones are watching us from heaven our comfort comes not from knowing that they see us, but that they see Jesus. And one day we will see him with them as well and never be separated again. And I guess just to, to wrap it up, Duval's commentary on, on Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And this is why I specifically included verse 2, um, where, where Hebrew, the author of Hebrews says, that We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's at the right hand of the throne of God. Because at the end of the day, I don't want to say that this question doesn't matter. I feel the weight of this question. Uh, can my lost loved ones who go before me, are they looking down on me? I feel the weight of that. But at the same time, I want to say with both Piper and MacArthur that it's not the most important question. The most important question has already been answered, that Christ looks down on us. Christ is our mediator. Um, that we look to him as the author and perfecter of our faith. Um, he is our hope. He is our help. He is our salvation. We fix our eyes on him, and, uh, and, and we trust that God in his perfect goodness and sovereignty um, is keeping our lost loved ones exactly where they need to be, seeing exactly what they need to see, and that he's going to bring our faith to completion uh, to where we'll, we will see them again and experience in community with them the goodness and the glory of God uh, around his throne in heaven. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Will. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Ask the Pastor. Remember that you can ask your questions each week at the info bar at West Hills or online under the resources tab at our website at westhillsstl.org. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. And thanks for listening.